This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. Uh, I'd like to welcome you all to Cambridge Assessment, uh, particularly the ones you don't uh, work here. <laughs> Uh, this is our Perspectives from Cambridge Assessment Seminar Series. Um, we split our seminar series into two. So there's the current issues in assessment, which for external speakers, and then the perspectives from, current, uh, from Cambridge Assessment, which are the internal speakers. Okay, so this session's being brought to you by the CIE Science uh, team, which is, let's see if I can remember without looking at my notes, it's Liz, Liz Burns, uh, Ruth Bramley, Ian Couchman... Uh, Rick Nelms and Rayleigh. Fabulous. Um, Liz is going to be uh, presenting the session, and she's the group manager for sciences at CIE, and she joined that job in 2009, but prior to that was, uh, for a number of years since 2001, the uh, sciences team leader at OCR, so been around for a fair while. (laughs) (laughs) And prior to that was a science teacher, um, which is where she gained all her practical experience in science practicals. Thank you very much indeed. Um, If you're of a slightly nervous disposition, then um, just be aware that uh, there will be a few unexpected events during the course of uh, this presentation, and you you feel free to leave now if you want to. Um, Today, I'm going to be talking from a very personal point of view. This is not a research-based seminar. It's uh, very much from my experience, which now goes over something like three decades of experience in uh, science practical assessment. Firstly, as a student, where um, I was involved as a student in taking practical examinations for the sciences, uh, GCSE, well, O-level, and then A-level, and then um, at university, continuing to take some um, assessments there in uh, practical skills. Then I moved into teaching, and when I first started teaching, the norm was for students to do practical examinations at the end of their GCSE courses and at the end of their A-level courses. So I've had plenty of experience of, I don't know, anyone who's been involved, and I imagine plenty of you in the audience have been, um, of trying to resource things for a practical exam will know exactly what it entails. Basically, uh, you've got to set up this practical on on the day, you've got to get it all perfect, and living things... Um, scientific things don't always behave perfectly. So I have been up at midnight stamping on the ground that have just watered to get enough earthworms for the practical dissection the night before. been searching, scouring around the countryside looking for enough stitchwork plants for the A-level biologists to dissect. Um, so that was my start-off in practical. But, but it's a very satisfying thing doing that because uh, you... you when you've, when you've got it all coming together and you've got 20 kids in the class in front of you all doing these practicals uh, that you've set up and it all works to plan, there's a real feeling of uh, achievement there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, things changed and we had the introduction of not uh, practical examinations but coursework, investigations, um, And they decided that rather than doing just a short practical examination, it would be much better for students to have a practice of scientific inquiry over a period of time. So, um, and teachers would assess that. 
Um, also, I've been involved in walking around the classroom with a clipboard, trying to assess students to see whether they're doing the, uh, whether they can measure correctly. Um, and when you've got 30 or so candidates in a classroom, that can be quite a challenge. So I think I've been there, done that, seen most types of practical assessment. And I thought I'd just, uh, before I launch into looking in more detail, just ask the audience here. Um, I can see a lot of faces I recognise. How many in the audience would claim that they're not really scientists here, that they didn't go beyond A-level with their sciences? Yeah, just so I've got an idea of where to pitch things. So I'm very pleased to see you all. And I'm very pleased that at last OCR's team meets CIE's team, because there's a lot of OCR scientists in the audience, as well as CIE. Um, and my talk, uh, although it's the CIE's uh, contribution towards these seminars, um, because my experience has been very much in the UK system, um, I plan to make some mention of international factors, but largely I'll be talking about generic issues relating to practical assessment. Okay, oh, and some of you may be wondering about the title. Well, that's uh, because of the international context. Um, in my first week of joining CIE, I realised very early on that I've, I've come into another world. First of all, they start addressing you as dear esteemed examiner, and that felt rather <laughs> lovely. And then um, I was checking my first exam paper, and I came across an Irish potato. Now, I knew all about King Edwards and Desiree's, <laughs> but what on earth is an Irish potato? And, of course, in places like Uganda, they talk about eating their Irish as opposed to eating their yams. So it suddenly opened up a whole new global context of what we were trying to do with our practicals was not just isolated to UK conditions and UK students and UK types of teaching. OK. Um, in this talk, I, I, I've thought rather too much and too long. It's not been very healthy over the last few months thinking about practical skills. And the more you think about it, the more you realise it's a bit messy now. Um, we, we've, we've sort of got confused with lots of different ideas about what we're attempting to do. So I'm going to divide the talk up into three parts. Firstly, to try to get an idea of what it is we mean by practical skills in science. What are we wanting to teach to the students to, for them to learn in a practical way? Secondly, um, I'm going to look at once we've decided what these skills are, what should we do, be doing and why should we be assessing them? And lastly, I'm going to have a quick review of the strategies that have been used and see how well they work with what we want to achieve in teaching and in assessment terms. So looking first at what we're doing when we're trying to teach science and using practical skills. Uh, one of the main reasons I think that practical is so brilliant in, in science is because it's a, a fantastic way of helping students to understand scientific concepts when they can use all their senses to help them understand. And I've just chosen... One example here of students come with all these conceptions 
So they know that when they mix colours together, yellow and blue and red, and they have this palette, they get a murky, browny, black colour. So that's what they've come to their science lessons with. And then when you say, well, this light, you see, this white light, that was made by mixing blue and red and green. Now, trying to do that just saying it, it doesn't, doesn't really help it go in. But when you can show them with experiments and enthuse them with that, that it helps them to, even if they're not thinking conceptually, to have something to refer back to as you're helping them to build their conceptual framework for science. Secondly... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I should have taken a little picture of your faces they look very similar to that um, it is that eureka moment it's, it's, science has the capacity there's so many fun experiments that you can carry out in science and, uh, and as teachers many of us in science just love our subjects so much that we want to convey that to students and by involving them in practicals sometimes you have to demonstrate them but but by doing these these experiments you, you get that interest you get their engagement and for some of them it will stimulate them to go off on their own scientific inquiry so that's the second reason um there's a lot of skills that students can develop by holding equipment, by carrying out experiments, uh, observing. Uh, great skill. A lot of scientific uh, discoveries reliant on careful observation. And there are so many different types of practical activity that build up their skills of observation. Manipulating glassware, handling delicate apparatus... It all helps them to build uh, their, their skills and their, it, behind that it also helps them to have an understanding of risk and of health and safety. So this is why we do it really and, and measuring. Uh, in science, measuring is very, very important. So there are hands-on skills that we want to develop through practical. And there are some others that are more generic. Science is part of the general curriculum and we pay our part in developing students' generic skills. Um, if they, there are so many opportunities in science that are available for students to be able to work together, uh, to give them an opportunity to follow procedures carefully, to manage their time, um, to ju just have a go and a sort of sandpit time, if you like, just practice and uh, carry out and, and just see where their investigations take them. So science contributes and this one, understanding scientific process. Uh, this is one where uh, we've moved over time to looking at more. Um, and I wonder whether this is the right move, but, but we have moved this way to trying to look at um, not just individual practicals to help with developing scientific concepts, but to understanding how scientists work, how they design experiments how they plan their activities, um, and then they have a go at collecting their own primary data by carrying out the experiment. They then have to work out how they're going to present their results. They can then analyse their results to show what they have found out. And then finally, they look at their experiment and they work out where they did things right and where they did things wrong. 
my personal feeling is that we've moved this way with very good intentions, but it's led to a very, very artificial scenario. A lot of what students do when they're carrying out these investigations in the classroom is to investigate things that we already know. There's not much inquiry because they already know the facts and they're just trying to prove them again. So all of you probably know, um, or have done this yourself, you've had to test for the resistance of a wire or you've had to put potatoes into hydrogen peroxide solution um, or you've had to measure how much potatoes take up water. They are things that we know the answers to already. So their capacity to stimulate interest is somewhat limited. But that's, as I say, rather personal feeling there. Now, when I started this, uh, putting together this presentation, I thought, well, I'd better... Uh, I put together my ideas and I thought, well, I'd better see whether any of the research supports any of this. Um, and there's a very useful document here. It's a, a report by SCORE. Um, and it, let me just look at my notes to just remind myself of the, what this is. This is the science community representing education, and it's made up of seven partner organisations. It's made up of AOC, ASE, the Biosciences Federation, the Institutes of Biology and Physics, uh, the Royal Society, the Royal Society of Chemistry. Um, and this report, if you read nothing else, is very, very, very useful to read because it pulls together a lot of the literature that there is on practical assessment. Uh, it, it also contains a questionnaire that they asked uh, teachers about uh, their, their <coughs> attitudes to teaching, practical skills, um, and it looks at what we should, where we should be going with things. So it's a useful document. And uh, what I've just been through now is basically, and Ian, this is where you need to get your catalase going, um, basically, how important is practical work in science education? This is how they rated these things. So things I've just been going through, teach skills, motivate pupils, understand investigation process, encourage inquiry, etc. I'd like you to note one thing there. Nowhere on that list does it say that the reason teachers think it's important is to, so that students can pass exams. So that's missing, and I'll come back to that later. And those are what they think are getting out of science, and this is what they consider practical work to be, a whole range of activities from laboratory procedures, investigations, field work, which I haven't talked about, uh, teacher demonstrations, uh, using IT, simulations, models and modelling, visiting, survey work, all things that they think are encompassed by the term practical work. So I hope that you're getting the idea that actually practical work to a scientist means a huge variety of activities and those activities will help students to develop a very large variety of skills. It's, a, it's an umbrella term 
for very diffuse skills and activities. And I think that is one of the problems that scientists have in particular in designing a way of assessing what the students are hopefully doing a lot of in their classrooms, designing the, the appropriate assessment tool. Now, I think the UK is very widely recognised as doing a fantastic job of, wherever possible, giving opportunities for students to develop their practical skills. It's, it, it's well-resourced in the UK. Teachers have, for many, many years now, been using experiential learning where the students are very hands-on to help students develop their skills. In other parts of the world, this is less advanced. But there, um, if you go to other countries... A lot more teaching is very didactic from the front. There's an interesting report from the World Bank which said that in the, the 70s and 80s they, they, they tried to encourage practical work in other countries, um, in developing countries. They sent out lots and lots of practical equipment for the teachers to be using. And they, they turned up 10, 15 years later to find the boxes of equipment still unopened, gathering dust, laboratories completely unused. And the teachers were very proud of these facilities that had been developed. But because the funding wasn't, they couldn't guarantee the consumables would keep coming, pristine. There we have a burette and a pipette. So, so across the globe, there are different... Um, types of teaching and there are different constraints but even in the UK which is very widely recognised for its real focus on practical skills, there are significant constraints for teachers equipment um, funding of schools has been pretty good over the last few years there shouldn't really have been too many difficulties in getting sufficient equipment it's looking set that it might well decline in the future so having the appropriate equipment um, could become a problem. Technician support. Some schools um, are very lucky. They've got very experienced, knowledgeable technicians. Others find it difficult to recruit for those positions. And if you don't have any technician support, it means that all the work that you do towards your practical investigations has to be outside the teaching hours. You have to practice it yourself, get the equipment together, clear it all up. It's very labour-intensive. Curriculum content. Um, two, two aspects to curriculum content, really. The first one, I would say, is just the volume. Um, whenever curricula develop for sciences, the temptation is to say, well, that's interesting, let's shove it in the curriculum. So the content grows and grows and grows. And the more the content grows the more difficult it is for the teachers to slot in the practical work in there. Also, the nature of the curriculum content. Some of the most exciting science, or the most up-to-date science, is using technologies that aren't available or aren't affordable in schools. So you can't, if you're going to teach that type of content... You can't support it with the practical work because it's something that you don't have the relevant equipment for. And I think particularly with some of the new curricula we've introduced, the 21st century science, um, uh, the, the new qualifications, that 
their focus was on engaging students with current issues, but that le- led to it being harder for teachers to find opportunities to support those issues with the actual um, practical work. I mentioned time to practice before. Some schools, uh, demonstration is the way because they can't control, the teachers find it difficult to control the students or they don't. Health and safety, the problem is that you've got to be really on top of your students in, in terms of your able to control a classroom scenario so that you can see what they're all doing so that if they're behaving in a dangerous manner, if they're handling their equipment wrongly, you can tell them to stop and they will do immediately. So for some teachers, classroom control is a barrier. And others, it's, it's knowledge. If you've, in science, had a very good grounding in scientific practicals as you've, when you were taught, then the confidence carries forward and you're likely to do it practicals with your students but many teachers might not have had that uh, background they might not have the confidence they then don't have the time to read and to practice the experiments and that it's a significant barrier to doing the practical work and again all of those uh, demonstrated that this is the what teachers thought were the main barriers to actually doing um, practical work in science. And if you look at number five, interestingly, now we have got exams and assessment appearing as a barrier to the assessment of practical skills. So I think there are really, in summary, three areas of practical skills that teachers will want to teach. Hands-on science, hands-on generic skills, and scientific processing skills. Those are the three main areas. So, moving on to the second section of my talk, which is about the assessment of these skills. Why do we assess them, and what should we assess? I think the first one's very important on there. Assessment should, where possible, reflect learning. Uh, So, uh, and what's happening in the classroom. So you want your assessment model, whatever you choose, to be recognising the achievement of the students from what they're doing in the classroom. And if you're hopefully getting a lot of practical work done in the classroom, you would like uh, some of the assessment to be on on that aspect. Um, And the third one there is... Well, we're basically, for some of these students, um, we'll be carrying on to higher education in the sciences and then future employment. And so... It's a guide to future employers and um, for people who are running degree courses exactly what those... Uh, there, there's a sort of expectation there that if you've got a good grade in science, that that will also mean that you've got good uh, practical skills. Now, when uh, science courses are put together... Um, QCDA um, in in the UK and uh, ministries abroad will consult about what uh, would be useful to be involved with those courses. And um, I just want to show you some of the courses that are available in science. Here we go. This is from uh, a manual that Ruth very kindly put together for me. (laughs) Some of the courses available in the university. 
and as you saw, <laughs> that was just the A's. Um, so if we're preparing students to go on to the next level, the skills that we can do cannot be very specific. They've got to be fairly generalised. And, and I think um, further education has to recognise that there is a limit to what is possible in a course of two years. If we want to get them prepared in 99 years for university, then we have probably stand a chance for the, each of those specific courses. Um, similarly, if we consult employers, um, there are just so many different types of scientists around that you can't really get the skills for each of those different types of job. So what are we going to focus on when we prepare our, our assessment? Which of these skills that I mentioned earlier should we assess? Any of them? Or all of them? Or something in between? Okay, so did anyone come up with any decisions about which practical skills are absolutely essential that we as, uh, should assess? Anyone think that we shouldn't worry assessing any of them? There was one that was conspicuously absent from the list, which is self-image. Uh, you can sit and study science out of the textbook and you might wind up with a self-image as a scholar. Uh, but it's only actually by doing science that you wind up that you that you become in your own mind a scientist. Uh, and your original question, I would take issue with. You said, "Who here is a scientist?" And then you define scientist as someone educated in science beyond A level. Uh, I'm a scientist who is not educated in science beyond A level because I define myself as such, not because I work in a laboratory or have those um, um, those um, vocational skills. And maybe one way of looking at this is to say, what are we trying to achieve by educating the majority of the population in science? Are we trying to get a skill base who could go on to science-based um, occupations? Or are we trying to build a, um, um, a, a, a rational society in which the general public make rational decisions um, based on the scientific process? Mm. Yes, and of course that's one of the aspects that 21st century was trying to hit. The 21st century GCSE was saying that um, not everyone is going to carry on with sciences. We need a, an educated uh, people to be educated in uh, everyone to have an understanding of fundamental principles that will allow them to engage with science. Yeah. Okay. And I, I like the I very much like the fact that you've, you've mentioned self-image. Um, yes, I hadn't considered that before, but you, you're right. By doing it, you understand. As soon as you've started investigating something, you understand how interesting it is and how, yes. Okay. Before I go on and attempt to answer what we should be assessing, let's have a look at a couple of practical tests that have stood the test of time. Um, Ruth very kindly sourced these photos for me um, so that they were completely copyright-free, uh, and that's our most modern car we could find. <laughs> so it has stood the test of time. Um, and the driving test, I think everyone would agree, is a, is a pretty good um, test 
of your skills at driving. Um, and, and nobody really argues that that's the way it should go. Uh, and driving is a skill uh, that, well, it's, it's a collection of skills, really. Um, you learn through one-to-one tuition over quite a period of time. And then it's assessed in a uh, sort of 40-minute uh, drive around with an independent assessor who's carrying out a little checklist. Um, the theory exam, part of it, costs about £31. Taking your driving test costs £62. And uh, the checklist of the examiner, as I was looking up, um, you can uh, have 15 not conforming with what you're expected to be done, and you can still pass your driving test. So 15 areas where you didn't hit right. Um, but if you have one major non-conformity, then you, you fail straight off. And if you have 16 minor, you fail as well. So it's a little... And understood that before. So, so that, But it stood the test of time. Um, it's been going for many, many years, and we all feel quite happy that, uh, on the whole, people are... are once they pass their driving test, are at a certain standard and are fit to go on the road. But we wouldn't assume that they could then drive a 10-ton lorry. Uh, they have to do another test for that, or a forklift um, truck driver. Or, you know, that, that is a skill to drive a car, and it's assessed in that way. And that's, that's the practical side, the hands-on side. The other one I've included there is um, the army entrance. If you want to be an army officer, you have to go to Sandhurst. And to get to the the, um, assessment board at Sandhurst, you have to first of all do a couple of days um, where they work out whether you're even fit to go to the assessment board. And then it's a four-day challenge of various activities. And the army has defined exactly what they want, what the skills they want officers to demonstrate in these four days. And there's a series of tests there. Um, There's group work where you try and cross rivers. There's um, obstacle courses. There's scenarios where if such and such happened and such and such happened, how would you get this working out? So it's testing analytical skills. It's testing leadership skills. And it's a very intensive um, process uh, done with individual exams, uh, people working in groups. And that hasn't changed much with time either. And both of those seem to be tests that are assessing... The first one is assessing hands-on practical skills. The second one is assessing hands-on practical skills again, but it's also assessing more generic skills and really focusing very carefully on what exactly you want to get as a somebody who you would take up as an officer to go on to officer training. So with those two in mind, things that have stayed in, in, with time, compare it to the science, um, where we keep twiddling around with it. Practical exams, coursework... Lots of little separate tasks, the new um, controlled coursework that's just coming in for A-levels. In Singapore, they've just moved to doing a similar thing called spa tasks. That that We keep changing, and there doesn't seem to be a general satisfaction that we've got it right. So I think that it's because we're trying to do too much with it. We really can't 
assess all of the skills that we want to be teaching students. So we need to focus more carefully about what we actually want to assess with our practical assessment. Now, this is personal. This is what I think a desirable practical assessment should involve. Um, Other people might disagree with some of the things I've chosen. I hope you don't disagree with the first one. Um, Tests relevant skills and understanding. Um, Relevant practical skills, perhaps I should have written down there. Um, Secondly, that the work assessed is that of the student, um, which is difficult with coursework. Uh, One of the difficulties there. Uh, The third one, that the assessment that is used supports rather than distorts the teaching. I think um, some of the things I've heard from people about some of the assessments that have been put in place are that it's too much about jumping through the hoops of the assessment and so much time has to be spent making students aware of those hoops so they can jump through them Uh, that that cuts out lots of other interesting practical work that you would otherwise do. And it also means that uh, teachers are very tempted because a lot of these uh, practical activities, you want the students to show what they can do. And in order to show what they can do fairly rapidly, you've got to do a lot of preparing the student before you let them loose. So uh, that's another one. Um, fourth one you might disagree with, but I think for uh, making it a reliable and valid test that, that really you would want some independent assessment if it's going to be part of a, a graded examination. Um, and the last one, very important, resourcing demand is appropriate. It might be appropriate to test a student's practical skills in the same way as a driving test. But we don't teach them in a one-to-one situation. And can you imagine what it would be like trying to get an independent assessor in to test them over 40 minutes to to demonstrate their practical skills? So with forever having to make compromises with the way in which we assess sciences... um, And I've put there, it's got to be manageable for the teachers... And it's got to allow for future developments. Um, One of the first things I had to do as a science teacher was to empty cupboards of tons of equipment that was no longer appropriate. Locust dissecting trays. Um, They... And, and it's because they're never assessed any longer. Uh, rat dissection went out. Um, in order to run a practical examination, we used to have to have sufficient microscopes um, that would allow for all the students, well, at least half of the students, to be looking down a microscope at the same time. Whereas, actually, all we needed in the school was a set f- 